This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I think if there's one thing that could make you a great civil engineer, it's the ability to provide the most value to your clients. And in this episode, my guest is going to give you something that he used to do on a regular basis to understand how to provide that value. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Ziad Masbudi. He's a licensed professional engineer and project manager at Transtech Engineers. And he is going to talk about value, but he's also going to answer the question, how can civil engineers adopt more green building practices to help build a better future for us all? Before we jump into the episode, we want to thank our sponsor for today, Dell Tech, a leading enterprise resource planning software provider with products built specifically for how engineering firms do business. Their industry-leading solution provides a 360-degree view into your projects and helps maximize productivity, increase profitability, and empower business success. Tune in on April 12th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as Dell Tech joins us for a webinar ensuring profitability with proactive project management. Let's jump right in. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Ziad Masbudi is a civil engineer out on the West Coast in California. And Ziad, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Good to have, to be with you and uh, excited for this podcast. To get started, Ziad, maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background, your career journey to date. I grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. I uh, went to the American University of Beirut, and I uh, have a degree in uh, civil engineering. And then after I graduated, I moved to the United States. Originally, I was going to get a master's from Gainesville, Florida. And then I said, no, I want to go to work. I'm tired of studying. Uh, That was my first uh, mishap in my life because I ended up studying throughout my life. I started working in the private sector. And uh, I did a lot of field work and uh, managing projects in the field. And that really helped me for the rest of my career because it helped me understand how things are built and how what it takes to build something. So after working in the field for about four years, I joined local government and I worked uh, for five cities, uh, starting as an assistant engineer doing capital improvement project, permitting, et cetera. And then I moved to associates where I was development engineer for five, four years. And then I moved to city of San Juan Capistrano where I became an environmental engineer. That wasn't really my title. I was a senior civil engineer and the, the stormwater program. So NPDES regulations were the permit has just started. So the city needed me to develop the stormwater program. But this is when I discovered that you can't work in a vacuum. So I saw that solid waste and recycling ties to what I'm doing. And then I saw used oils connect. And then I, I started to connect the dots. And then I realized, you know what? I need to be an environmental engineer 
really as a title per se, but because everything I was doing was interacting with the community at various levels, trying to educate the residents about what is to be environmental or green. I talked to the businesses. So even though I was dealing with the stormwater, but I realized they need to have the big picture. So I talked to them about recycling. I talked to them about reducing trash. And then because I was in charge of recycling, I realized I need to see how it fits their bottom line. So I started to host uh, lectures on uh, making green by being green. So if you recycle, it's going to save money. If I do the energy conservation with you, you're going to pay less for electrical. If you save water, where I'm telling you about conserving water, it's going to cost you less. So it hit them and they understood it and they rallied behind me. The community, I used to write articles about environmental stuff. I used to create cleanup so people came. So by picking up the trash, they stopped throwing trash. So I became an environmental guy. I joined the U.S. Green Building Council and I became a lead accredited professional. And then on the stormwater, I shared many committees, developed program. So it kind of changed my attitude. So as a civil engineer working for local government, I realized I'm not just a technical guy. You have to understand what people want and how to do it. And I took pride because my community won tons of awards. And maybe my neighboring community, they used to write a lot of tickets and citations. Well, in 12 years, I didn't write any. And I had more success than any of my neighbors because the businesses that I dealt with were embarrassed to violate because I was there to help them when they need. I saved them money. They made money. So they rallied. and, And that was the success that I had. After that city, I went overseas to Saudi Arabia, and I worked there for a year. I was vice secretary general of the Economic Cities Authority, and Saudi Arabia wanted to build four cities in the desert, kind of like Dubai. So I oversaw all local government aspects, working with a master builder, and, and it was very good. And then after a year, for family reasons, I came back to California and then I worked as an engineering manager overseeing public works in the city of Laguna Niguel for four years. And then I ended up after that uh, deputy director of public works, city engineer in the city of San Clemente. And then I retired from there. And after I retired, I uh, was home. I did some projects at home. But after three months, my wife said, what are you going to do? Watch TV all day? Go get a job. So I joined the private sector. And My company, uh, Transtech, we provide services for local governments. So I'm actually like an acting city engineer, or I support cities in whatever they need to comply or to do capital improvement projects, etc. So even though I joined the private sector, I'm really embedded almost to assist local government. So that's kind of a little background. Yeah, you've had a very varied career. You've done a lot of different things, which is great, which I think is one of the the nice things about civil engineering, right? You can do a lot of different things. And I think one of the things you said when you started talking before was about the field experience, one of your first things you mentioned. And I think that that's a really important aspect for a civil engineer to have that field experience early on. If you are a less experienced civil engineer and you're listening I would highly recommend you try to find that experience. And if you're a more senior engineer or an executive in a company, I recommend that you try to get your less experienced professionals out in the field because I personally had the same experience as Ziad. I mean, I started doing surveying and when I became a designer in the office, I really knew how things went together because I was able to see them and it really makes a world of difference. So I do think that that's very important. 
And I think, yeah, the other thing that you talked about that's really important is as an engineer, we have to deal with a lot of stakeholders on our projects, but we need to understand like what they want, not just what we want, right? Like we want to design things. We want to do the specs and the calcs and the details. They want to save money. Like you said, right? Money talks and you can be a green civil engineer, but you got to get them some green if you want them to listen to you. So That's right. And, and you have to understand, I mean, working for local government, you have to understand your council, your community. I had a mayor who told me one time, you know, Ziad, you're an unusual engineer because you're not like the typical pocket protector, etc. I mean, that was 20 some years ago. I used to advise him. I used to engage him. When I started, I had a mayor who told me, oh, you know, we're talking about dog poop and picking up. Like, oh, whatever. You know, that was 30 years ago. Like, oh, that's all right. Well, his son used to surf and I was a mile and a half from the beach. And I said, you know what? That poop here has bacteria. Do you want your son to get sick when he goes surfing? Like, oh, it hit him. Then he connected the dots. And then he was my biggest ally. No, this is important that we clean up. We put doggy bags everywhere. So even council decisions sometime. You know, I had a council after a few years of talking about green and sustainability. They wanted now every project to put solar panels and, and change. Well, the development community was agitated about it and it was going to become a problem. But see, the law was coming. The building code was changing that was going to require what they were going to do two months before, but everybody was going to fight them. I'm like, don't do that. Hold off. This is coming. So they backed off. Actually, at the council meeting, they pulled the item. So nobody fought us, and then the building code came, and then we had the same result without the fight. So one has to be smart and, and understand your environment, etc. I worked most of my life in Orange County. In South Orange County is very conservative uh, Republican. So when Ziad thought I talk about green sustainability, oh my God, are you crazy? No, but then I explained to the cities how it benefited all of us. So we had greening the orange, for example. I invited all local government, all the cities in the county, and, and I did a presentation on greening the orange and how certain things we do is going to help all of us. So slowly, cities started to get on board and understand the purpose of what we're doing. I think understanding your stakeholders, what their goals are, you need to be keyed into that. Or, you know, like you said, board members, you need to know how to get them to either take action on a project or, you know, why they're asking you for things they're asking you for. You got to get to the why kind of behind it. That's really important. That's right. You've been employed by municipalities and worked for government. And then you've also obviously worked in the private sector, even though you're still interacting with municipalities. But just for those out there that maybe are working in one or the other and they're thinking about making a transition, talk about the difference between working for government or government agency versus a private company. I spent almost most of my life in the public sector and, uh, you know, it feels good. I, it was rewarding to me. It wasn't about the money. It was about improving the community you're living in. It has different rewards per se. It's maybe more stable. I enjoyed that I didn't have to go looking for work, kind of like the private sector have to do, and apply for proposals, etc. I was on the other end. I was making projects. I was, you know, improving the community, fixing the streets, doing stuff that are beneficial. And it was very rewarding to me. I enjoyed it a lot. There are people, the private sector has challenges. You're having to design a lot of things. So... A lot of time you want to become almost a specialist in a field, then I'm the best guy and that does bridges, for example, in that manner. So those government agencies are going to hire me. 
you're going to build stuff for the private sector, maybe building a project or a track of homes or design. So I interacted a lot with the private sector, with the nature of my job, because I was reviewing their project. And I built an amazing relationship with them because I used to be the guy who said, come here, let's sit down, tell me what you want to do, I'll tell you what I want, and then your project goes smooth. So there were a lot of private companies that loved to work in the city where I was because I understood them and we worked jointly well and everybody was happy at the end of the day. So the private sector has its reward and the government sector has different kind of reward. So one need to pick what they like. Do you want super different or special type of... I'm going to be only in the water system. I'm designing water lines all day long. Well, for me, that wasn't it. So working for... Especially in, in our city. I mean, I'm not like working in Chicago. I'm working in a small community. So I'm going to see 50 types of project, different ones. I'm going to be exposed to them. And so this is the kind of stuff I enjoyed in my career. And it was a good career. That's an interesting point. When you work in the public sector, especially if you work for a small municipality, you are going to see a lot of different projects because, you know, you're it. You're kind of the, the engineer there working and a lot of stuff's going to get put on your desk. Whereas... You know, if you work in the private sector, there's a chance, not always, but there's a chance that you could be doing the same thing on a lot of projects, stormwater design on a bunch of different projects, right? You know, doing different stormwater analysis and reports and et cetera. So that is something to think about. And again, I think that there could be a lot of value for someone in your career to work in both sides of it, because then you get to see both. It will make you be better at each of them because you understand, you know, again, we're similar to what we talked about before, you know, where the other party's kind of coming from, which I think is a valuable thing in any endeavor. And so, Let's talk a little bit more about kind of career a little bit. You've received numerous awards, including Outstanding Civil Engineer in the Public Sector. You're very involved in various associations and committees. Talk about how these experiences helped you in your career as an engineer. There was a time in my life, I'm reading the American Society of Civil Engineer newsletter. And, you know, I had my friends around. I was a member and I saw they were doing legislative trips to Washington, D.C. or Sacramento in our case. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. So I called and I joined and then I became the chair of the legislative committee. All of a sudden I said, no, I want to be president because I saw my friend was president. I called him. I said, I want to be the president of the Orange County branch. Like, OK, well, let's get you on the board. And four years later, I was the president of the American Society of Civil Engineers and I got involved at the national level. I was involved with the American Public Works Association on national level. So how did this help me in my career? Well, I was on the cutting edge of things. I was seeing what's coming. It helped me saying, you know what? Stormwater is very important. So I became an expert in storm. I went and took the courses, certifications, and I became a teacher on those. And I learned. Green was starting. Actually, I was part of the green movement. Actually, I went overseas even. They sent me to Egypt to launch the Egyptian Green Building Council, working with the International City Manager Association. And it helped me network. You know, I'm Lebanese. Lebanese people love to interact and socialize, etc. So they got a bad rap. But you know what? We enjoy talking. We enjoy connecting. And that helped me connect with a lot of the engineering firms, with my peers. You know, I chaired committees and I was involved. So... It helped my career because it made me, it put me almost in a leadership role to try to influence people. I worked a lot with the young members, with the local colleges, and I still am. And I'll tell you later what I'm doing currently. But all of these prepared me to be a better engineer. I used to invite the best 
expert on a subject to do presentations at our luncheon. So I was hearing some of what they're doing. So connecting, there are people who isolate themselves. I become an engineer. I sit at my desk. I design all day long. I don't interact with anybody. I'm doing my job. But that doesn't make you really part of the society. So an engineer can't be just like this. They have to think, who are my peers? Who are my clients? Who are the people I'm interacting with? The other agencies. So I built a reputation with other agencies. So when we're dealing with them, I know what I'm talking about. They know that I'm ethical. They understand where I'm coming from. And it helped me and my agencies that I have served because these agencies respected us. I had the Regional Water Quality Control Board. They used to come to my city and they inspect, for example, a construction site. The people on that construction site would tell them, you're easy, Ziad is tougher than you. So, And they used to go and see the project is fully compliant. And they would tell other agencies, go look and see how Ziad is doing it. Because I used to tell the developer up front, look, as long as you do what I'm asking to, we're best friends. I'm here to help you in anything you want. Don't commit violations because then I'm going to turn in a different way with you and I'll be in an enforcement mode. So we don't want that. So these developers will come to me and say, tell us exactly what you want. We'll make sure we'll do it. So these agencies that's backed off on me. And if even if something happens, they'll know it's an incident. It's not something that's a practice. So all of these things made me a better engineer. One of the things that I took out of that, and someone said this to me in the past, is that joining an association is certainly a good thing in your career, but where you really get the value is taking an active role in that association, a leadership role in that association. Like you said, where you got on the board, you took a trip for legislation. There were different things that you did because we can all join and pay the dues and pay the dues every year. But like you said, that doesn't mean we're going to be active. We could still just be going about and doing our engineering duties every day. And I found the same thing in my career. Like you said, you start interacting with people, you get on boards with people, you work with them on different challenges and different problems. And really, it really broadens your network. And then the next time you think of something that you want to do or something that you need to look into in your career, you probably have someone that you know that you can call just because you met them at the ASCE board or whatever the case may be. So I think it really can enrich someone's career because it gives you, you know, provides a lot more relationships and, and builds different relationships. And I would encourage anybody out there, if you're a member of an association, but you haven't been very active in it, and I don't mean just go to the meetings, I mean, get on a board, volunteer for a committee, help put an event together. I mean, they always need help and um, it can be a very rewarding. No one that I've talked to that has done it has said that it wasn't a rewarding experience because there's always something that they take out of it, essentially. Agree. And especially working for a small city. So I gave you some examples, but you have so much on your plate. You want to find ways to be efficient. I'll give you a simple example. When the stormwater program started, we wanted to develop stuff. Well, I was developing. My neighboring city was developing the same thing and the other cities developing the same. So we got together and I told my friend who was my neighboring city, well, I'm developing this. Why don't develop the other one and we'll work together? So instead of both of us developing the same thing, we'll develop alternate things. And then we formed together even flyers that were the same, but covered a variety of things. So you have to be smart sometimes to make your life easier because you have so much on your plate. You can't take on everything. So try to, I mean, I always said, I don't have to be a genius. I need to find somebody who made a genius, work with them, copy them. I mean, we work together. So I learned from others instead of me creating everything. If it has been done, I don't have to recreate it. Especially in government, we help each other, we share. 
And this is where the networking part comes in very, very well. All right, let's talk a little bit about get back into green and environmental. So infrastructure projects, power plants, buildings, transport, they're responsible for a staggering 70% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And then as a result, green building application has become kind of a prominent focus in the civil engineering industry. So how can civil engineers adopt more green building practices just to help have a build a better future for all of us? As we evolved so over the past 25, uh, 30 years, civil engineering used to be, well, I'm just going to put concrete and asphalt and everything is, there is no infiltration of anything. And that has changed. So we had stormwater regulation that told me, you know, you can't just do this. You, you have to capture. If you capture, I have to put a huge vault that's going to cost us a lot of money to capture water because I don't want to have the additional runoff. So that's we started to talk about uh, bioswales and talking about impervious or pervious concrete. So it helped us change how we think. You know, now we say, well, maybe put some trees and now that the canopy is going to help. You're going to have some plants that now will absorb water. We now incorporate energy conservations. I changed the entire city's uh, street lights to LED and that cut tremendously the energy supply. We talk about water conservation because we are in a drought. So now, not just retrofitting, but all new infrastructure that we do. We have drip system instead of just sprinklers that are going. We install sensors, for example. So if it's rain, it's a rain shutoff valve. So we think now about these measures. So if it's raining outside, I shouldn't have to see my sprinkler system going on and I'm not talking just about a residential property, but in cities, I have medians, I have parks. So you have to start as an engineer incorporating and telling your client or your agency, okay, we're doing this project. What can we do to make it green? Well, maybe I don't have to put a concrete path. I could do a DG path, decomposed granite that allows some infiltration if it's rain, but you know, you can walk on a path like this. So it makes you start thinking differently. You know, we want to take advantage of a local uh, creek or something protected, but you could use it also as part of your treatment. So we look at nature and we try to mimic nature. So I incorporate uh, compost, for example, to reduce weeds. So I don't have to go and apply uh, pesticide or application herbicides, etc. It made us revise our thoughts and when we're designing now we try to bring out these good ideas about how to do stuff instead of having a median that's a berm i inverted and now i can capture the water we put uh, you know rain uh, capturing uh, gutters that have so i have a little i capture the rain instead of letting the rain just go out and we have to set the model for the residents in the community so if i'm doing a project then I could say, hey, take a look at this. We did demonstration gardens to say to show drought-tolerant plants instead of a plant that requires so much water. We start to tell people about not putting too much grass, which in California, everybody used to have grass everywhere. Well, now we say, we have stickers that say, tell me how to kill my lawn. you know, Or we paid people money to remove their lawn and put drought-tolerant and have nicer gardens. 
there are certain areas where you just have to build a street, uh, something out of steel or concrete or asphalt. But you start looking differently about what can we change. If City of LA is looking at cool streets, for example, that reflects the light better, so they're light street instead of the black asphalt. There's a lot of new advanced technologies in civil engineering that is now more geared to our greening programs. The whole really important point of this is people need to be more aware of it, including civil engineers, right? Like you said, you have to think about it because there are things on your projects that you can just change that aren't that hard to change that can give you some environmental impacts or benefits. And we're just not used to doing it that way because it's been done one way for so long. So once we start to talk about it more and be more aware of it, that can really be kind of a game changer. And I think to do that, there needs to be civil engineers like yourself that are out there talking about it, writing about it, speaking on these topics at conferences so that more of the engineering community can understand that, hey, I can make a difference just by not making too many changes to my design, just doing a couple things different. And you know, it's more awareness, right? And I think that that's important. And there are some certifications. So there's the Envision program. So now APWA, ASCE, a lot of engineers now are understanding, you know what? Because before the lead accredited professional, for example, was mostly for building and for private infrastructure. So the Envision now is the counterpart of lead on the public side. So I just saw yesterday a presentation on the city of LA 6th Street Viaduct. They received the Envision Platinum certification. So when they were building, they incorporate some open space, they had community engagement. So there are certain things that now any engineer or there are agencies that say, hey, if you want to design this project for us, we expect you to have some of your engineers to have Envision. We want to apply and receive the Envision certifications, etc. The professional societies are starting to influence more their members to say, this is important and we need you to incorporate that into everything you do. We're going to take a quick break with Ziad. We're going to come back in a minute and we're going to finish up with a couple of last career related questions. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Before we go on here, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Simpson Strong Tie. Simpson Strong Tie is a building industry pioneer dedicated to helping people design and build safer, stronger homes, structures, and communities. Simpson Strong Tie is making a positive difference for their customers through expert engineering, world-class test laboratories, and unrivaled technical support. We invite you to consider working alongside the many talented, passionate, and humble people who are all contributing to our shared mission in an environment that supports a healthy work-life balance. It's a place where you can connect, create, and build a career. Visit strongtie.com forward slash careers to learn about our culture and why Simpson Strongtie employees are our most loyal customers. We're back with our guest for today, Ziad Masboudi. He's a civil engineer and has had a career both in the public and private sectors. All right, Ziad, we're going to put you on the civil engineering hot seat for a few minutes, and we're going to ask you a couple of career-related questions to try to help some of our listeners who are kind of going through their careers here. The first one is, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? Maybe you have a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you kind of do every day that's helped you to be successful. One of the things I have always done is in the local government side and even now in the private side where I'm helping agencies I drive the city or I walk the city I work in every day almost. I take a drive, see what's happening. You know, you have to have your thumb on things. You don't want to be 
caught by surprise, something happening in your community. And sometimes, even as I drive streets that I haven't driven for uh, in, I notice certain things. So when issues come up, I should have knowledge of the community. And it helped me be a better engineer because I understood the pulse of the community. My wife actually doesn't like it too much when on the weekend I go to my community because my eyes, she tells me I'm like a radar. I believe walking or driving, you know, and understanding what's happening in your city. You see issues sometimes. If I'm just sitting in my office and, you know, then I don't know what's going on. So sometimes I see projects happening. I see something that shouldn't be done. And it helped me a lot so that I'm always aware of the surroundings and what's going on in the community. So, I mean, just like when I worked in the field, it helped me understand how something is being constructed. So I'm not designing just by the book. No, I saw how they tie the rebar. I saw what it took to excavate something. So when you know how things are going to be constructed, then you understand how to design it and what time it takes. So same thing with my ritual of walking or driving the community, I understand the community I'm in. First of all, I think that civil engineers really were meant to be part of our communities. I mean, that's kind of what we do on a regular basis. You know, I've always said that civil engineers should try to be as well-rounded as you can be, right? With meaning your technical skills, your people skills, your project management skills. And really part of that is just being plugged into your community and being able to give a lot of value to your clients, right? And and almost as a, as a municipal engineer, really you're serving the public. And the more you learn about their community, right? The more effective you can be for them and, and the better job you can do. So I, I like that a lot. That seems like a great habit to develop. Ziad, I know you've done a lot of studying in your career. I'm sure a lot of reading too. Are there any books that you've found from a career standpoint that have helped you that you might lean on or that you might have remembered that stood out for you that you've used or authors that you've liked a lot in your career? Nothing specific to my career, but I'm going to tell you something that changed me as a person. So about 20 some years ago, I read a book called Three Cups of Tea. It was written by Greg Mortensen. And Greg Mortensen was a guy who went uh, climbing to K2. So he went to the Himalayan and was climbing. And on his way back, he got sick. And he ended up in a small, tiny little village, I think, in Pakistan. And then he noticed when he was sick. So he was with the tribe or with that uh, villagers for a month or more. And he noticed there was no schools. There were little girls that were on like a little plateau and they were in the mud kind of learning to ride, etc. And when he got better, he promised them before he left that he would be back. He would build schools for them, for the girls that were in that village, etc. And it took him years. He went back and he did some of what he did. And it touched me a lot. When you see people, you know, and you see sometimes misery or you see something that they're missing in their life that you can improve it. It, uh, you know, growing up in war in Lebanon touched me a lot, too, in my life. You know, I was a fireman, paramedic, rescuer during, you know, wartime. And I was even during when I was going to college before I came to the U.S. So I saw misery. I saw people, how lives can be changed by doing simple things. So I actually connected with a group here in California called Corazon. Corazon means heart in Spanish. And they build actually houses for widows. So I started going with these guys to Mexico, to very, very poor towns. And one day we bring volunteers and then we build houses. And at the end of the day, I cry like a baby when I see that poor widow with three, four kids who had nothing 
And in one day, her life is changing. When I was ASCE Orange County president, we had kind of like uh, the Doctors Without Borders. We had Engineers Without Borders, and we supported. So we built uh, Africa in, in a town where the towners, the women has to walk six miles every day to get water and come back. And we sent some of our young volunteers and we built a simple bridge across the river where they had to go around to get to. And now in 20 minutes, those ladies can go get their water and come back. So you're improving lives. That book touched me because this guy made a difference. He improved people's lives. And I realized that as an engineer, I'm not just fixing a street. There's a lot that we can do to help people. And sometimes it's just my time on a Saturday. I go one day in the morning, I come back at night, and now this lady has a house. So I've done it over the years many times. I've gotten some of my young engineers to be involved. And this is kind of how we have to think. Thinking back of maybe some of the managers that you've had in your career, and you don't have to name any names, but the point is, if you think of the managers that you really liked or that you thought were helpful for you in your career, what characteristics or what skill sets did they have? Like, we're trying to find out, like, what makes for good managers in the civil engineering world, in your opinion? As a manager, and especially now, so I don't believe in blind trust, but you want to give somebody an opportunity and keep an eye. And if they're doing great, then release them, kind of let them do great things and show it. And then people then like it because now you're going to have success stories because now you know that they gave you some trust and you want to really show them, hey, you know, the action you took was well taken and I am ensuring to you that uh, I'm doing great things because of your trust. So there are people that are too controlling and you just go do this task and stick to it. Well, I have a couple of managers, actually two, three in my career that believed in me and let me do some of the stuff. You know, when I told you about someone Capistrano where you know, I started a huge program that some never existed. And, you know, I told my manager, here's what I want to do. And I think this will be great. And he said, okay, proceed. And I did. And we were so successful. And without this manager believing in me and trusting me, I could never have done some of the stuff that uh, some of them have never been done or chaired committees. So the time I spent Somebody may say, wait a second, what are you doing all going to all these committees and meetings? Sit here at your desk and work. No, I was more successful. I was able to do more. I was involved with various committees and chaired meetings, etc. But that made me even better. So that manager believed in me. And I think he allowed me to expand my horizon and to do great things. That trust factor can be all the difference in terms of someone's success, for sure. You have to make sure that trust isn't broken. So that trust comes with responsibility. So you have to always ensure that that trust is, you know, is precious. So you do what you're supposed to, and you don't want to have your manager then stop the trust. Because once that's gone, it's very, very hard to bring back. All right. So I've got one final question for you, Ziad. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer, let's say someone with less experience than you, and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with that person to give them some career advice based on your journey, what would you tell them in that short period of time? I'll say learn, 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 and be involved. I got my MBA at 50. Oh, I thought, why do you need your MBA at 50? No. I mean, you're always sharpening your skills. 
and you always want to learn stuff. There's stuff happening. So there is no status quo in civil engineering. You don't just get your degree and that's it for the rest of your life. No, there's always new technology. Don't become stagnant. Stagnant means death. So we're always evolving. There are new techniques, new technology. So continue to learn and be involved in professional organizations because that's going to make you even a better person. So these two things have really improved my life and made me the engineer that I am today. So I tell people, learn and be involved. Ziad Masbudi, thank you so much for spending some time here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ziad. I think that tip that he gave about walking around the towns and really understanding what the needs of his clients were is a game changer. We can all learn from that as civil engineers, and I hope you'll apply some of his strategies. Now, please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.